Okay, let's get started. Hi everyone, welcome to the White Man Podcast. Today we have some interesting topics and awesome guests. This is our first time doing a video stream. As always, feel free to leave comments in the Twitch box and we will try to get to them. And also shout out to Jerry for hosting the stream and John for editing. So starting off with introductions. I think we can go in the order that we appear screen. Krish, that's you first. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Uh, hi everyone, my name is Krish. Um, I am going into my hopefully last year of school at, at UFT. Uh, not that I didn't like it, uh, I, I love UFT, but uh, excited to be almost done. Um, I'm currently working as a software engineer at Red Hat, um, where I do R&D work under the office of the CTO. Who's next? Mike? Hi, everyone. My name is Michael Leet. I'm a assistant professor teaching stream at the University of Toronto, Mississauga. Uh, I'm a computer science professor, so that's my field of discipline. Hi, everyone. I'm your host, Orange. It's all about me. And I am Blossom, so Naz. Um, I'm a third year um, University of Toronto Mississauga um, student, currently doing PY as a DevOps person, uh, DevOps intern at Oracle. Lucas. Hi. Yeah, it's me. Uh, hi, I'm Lucas. Uh, I'm doing entering my final year uh, at UTM. I'm currently finishing my PY. I work as a GPU virtualization uh, intern, I guess, uh, at AMD. Hey, that's everybody. So to start off, we have a carryover question from the previous episode. So last week's guests wanted to ask you guys, um, for the student guests, what's one thing you wish you knew before coming to UTM? And then for Mike, our professor, the question instead is, what was it like doing all of your studies at McMaster? And what's one way that U of T has been different? So again, we can go in like the order that we appear. Sure. Um, so I guess uh, one thing I knew before coming to UTM uh, I guess the obvious thing is like post, right? Because most people haven't heard of that before they start here. I know for me, I didn't know about it until halfway through second semester. And so there's a little bit of panic there, but um, managed to pull through. Uh, and so that's one thing that I would definitely like recommend first years, you know, look into or learn of before they enter, not just UTM, but any of the, you know, University of Toronto schools. Ah, sorry. Um, so Mac was, I had like, so Mac's short for McMaster for all of you who don't know. Um, but I really liked it. I enjoyed the school. Um, I actually never thought I'd stay to finish my master's nor my PhD. I was totally gung ho about getting out of there after my fourth year of undergrad. Um, but the university itself was really nice. Um, the area around the campus was as we coined it, the student ghetto. It was okay, but as I sort of developed more time there, you realize that McMaster or Hamilton isn't just the university and its surrounding space. It's a lot bigger than that. Um, one thing that sort of made, has made U of T a little bit different and sort of what drew me to U of T specifically, so my similarity first is that uh, Mac and U, UTM specifically have a very similar community in terms of being student-oriented, focused, um, very, I don't know, supporting of one another, which I really, really liked. And that drew me to the faculty or the university specifically. 
But um, you guys have dedicated teaching faculty. And that's something I never had coming from the faculty of engineering. Uh, the like the teaching stream folks here are awesome. Uh, it's a very drastically different experience because McMaster, similar to St. George, is a very research focused um, location or like campus. UTM is still research focused, but they do have way more in terms of events, um, gatherings, and just sort of social things that happen for students. Uh, now, given that we have robotics in CS, it will eventually grow and be very similar in that aspect. But that's sort of the one big thing I noticed that's different. Yeah. So um, for me, the one thing that I wish um, for that, that I knew before coming to UTM, like Chris said, is knowing about Post. Um, and the other thing is knowing about more resources to, you know, get connected with students. For instance, I actually didn't know much about Discord until like my second semester first first year and that really helped me um you know um in terms of like getting questions to um ask instructors and um you know knowing that everything's all right and I'm not the only one going through this getting friends in general because I think people in CS connect lesser in person than they do online yeah, I agree. It's really easy to get trapped in like uh, a loop of just like, you know, focusing on, you know, class or internships or, or whatever you're interested in and, and forgetting that, you know, university is also, you know, a social experience, right? Uh, yeah, from my side, uh, it would have been post, surprisingly. And um, knowing what CS actually is, because going in, you think, oh, I just type and something comes up and my program works. But there's more to CS. You need to learn uh, runtimes, program correctness, all of the theory behind it as well. So definitely learning more about what CS is would have been helpful for first year. Right. So for everyone listening in, definitely keep those in mind. Useful things that we wish we knew before coming to UTM, and maybe you can know that in advance. OK, so now we're moving into the core of our podcast episode. This week's topic is about futures te technology. So we're going to go over, is it all hype? Uh, I'll read some common buzzwords that you hear about and discuss whether or not it's all just hype. Um, and we can go through things like applications, growth potential, paths of students want to study this area or this field, etc. So starting off, cloud computing. Um, a quick definition of cloud computing, it's the practice of using a network of remote servers hosted on the internet to store, manage, and process data instead of using a local server or a personal computer. So going off that definition, um, what do we think about cloud computing? Anything to add? I'd say it's pretty important. Uh, it's my job right now, technically. Um, Same. But yeah. Oh, yeah, Chris, you're uh, hmm. <laughs> the power you can leverage using cloud computing is something you can't get within a local system, for example. Because, you know, my brother is doing his master's and he needs a 10 DTI. But, you know, using my work, we could, in theory, split a 10 DTI into multiple GPUs that other people can use. So the, the amount of hardware that you can leverage using cloud computing is very important. And then there's also the problems of networking, you can use cloud computing, they'll handle the networking for you if you want to host a website, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I agree. 
it's it's super neat because you as like an end user don't have to bear the entire cost of the hardware so you can say oh i need it for this like small project and this small project ends up costing you i don't know like ten dollars whereas the hardware could have cost you hundreds uh so that's sort of a neat thing the other really big thing too is that uh, you can scale applications quickly and sort of on demand so if all of a sudden your server reaches a peak well I can spin up two, three, four, five instances across the world uh, that best serves my needs, which is really, really cool. Yeah. Okay. So it's definitely not all hype. It's pretty awesome tech. Yeah. I, yeah, I would safely say cloud computing is not hype. I mean, yeah. for me, a lot of my work is like prototyping and, and stuff like that. So it's kind of magical, you know, being able to spin up like this really powerful server on AWS and, and use that. And then, you know, when I'm done, spin it down, right? I don't have to go to any team for hardware or resources or anything, right? And it, it costs my team like, what, five, 10 bucks, maybe max. So it, it's yeah. crazy. It's, it's just such a big like paradigm shift, right? In, in how we look at um, deployment and infrastructure. The one thing I wanted to talk about related to cloud computing was that, you know, in cloud computing, you hear so many buzzwords like AWS, Azure, um, Google Cloud, and then um, I think Kim Chi was pointing out IBM. So there's so many companies that are coming into cloud and then they have their own certifications. Um, other than that, you know, in the technology, you have different ways of doing stuff like Kubernetes got really popular recently. People are rushing to learn Docker. There's just so many words for students to process and know about before they graduate. And mm -hmm. the, the reason I find it kind of interesting is that, you know, there's all this technology to learn right now, but um, a lot of it isn't really taught in courses, um, undergrad courses. Do you think there's some certifications that are more important for students than the others, like um, learning AWS versus Google Cloud, or um, like, would you give something more preference? What I can comment on is, from what I've seen, Azure is clawing its way to become one of the forefront leaders in mm -hmm. cloud computing. So it's definitely not a bad idea. And then the capabilities of Azure itself, uh, excluding what I, Excluding the stuff that I've heard of, uh, I attended a conference once for Azure, and it's talking about auto load balancing and automatic Kubernetes setup. So there's definitely lots of things for Azure that you can use uh, that would make it an ideal candidate to learn above the rest. Yeah, my personal two cents as like somebody who like you know went and did like the Azure cert and like the Google GCP cert is like, um, I would say like it. I wouldn't do it just for the certification, right? Like, I, I don't think you learn enough for it to be that valuable as a certification, right? Because like 90% of the time, they'll make you like answer some questions about like, you know, what is this prepped? And then you'll spin up a VM and then you'll spin it down. And that's like the certification. And so like that by itself, I don't think adds that much value. Uh, but the real like value for me is like, once you learn the concepts in, you know, Azure or GCP or AWS, the concepts pretty much translate over to one of the other platforms, like 90% similarity, right? The terms will be different, right? Amazon has S3 and Azure has, you know, blob storage and Google has object, their own object store. And so um, their, their names are different, right? And, and that can be confusing to like a new developer, but uh, the concepts are pretty much the same, at least in my experience. 
one th one thing to be said there too is that with your computer science knowledge and background you have a lot easier time distinguishing the difference theoretically behind why i use a container versus why i use a virtual machine what the difference is between them and that's something that can carry over regardless of the term so if you or if we're working with like uh, azure's platform or if we're working with like a amazon like ec2 instance for example um it doesn't make it like you said it doesn't make a difference so i definitely do agree with you as long as you can understand how to take the ideas take the same concepts and roll them into another platform uh that's really all you need to be successful mm -hmm. just to add on to that um something that you mentioned Nas, was like it's really confusing for like you know students and stuff because they don't know where to start because there's so many buzzwords um like my approach to like for learning like this whole like you know deployment and and cloud and um kubernetes ecosystem was like to learn uh, to look at it like historically right like why do we need containers and why is it better than vms right and, and what was the predecessor to vms um like why are we moving towards kubernetes and towards cloud as opposed to what we had before right why can't every company just buy a bunch of servers and use those uh, and so looking at it historically and seeing the progression I think is really useful because then you can also express the value of these new technologies, right? You can't just like um, pair it off the buzzwords. And I think the one thing that gets confusing um, is because when you want to learn about, um, you know, these technologies, it's harder to learn um, them, I think, than like the other stuff that we learn in undergrad CS because you you know you think that you need to get all these vms and then you know start your own app and then deploy it in like a cloud environment and then actually test something out so is there something you would recommend for students to get started other than just like jumping into companies and you know having to do it hands-on directly because it's harder to learn on your own well, I know from my experience with Memorable, um, the best experience I got was doing it myself <laughs> because that's how I learned how to mess up, what the solutions to the mistakes were, and then the steps to go through that. So we went through DigitalOcean, for example, and there were lots of quirks uh, that you needed to learn about. And then further into the actual deployment of something, it's all something you make mistakes and learn from. I think that's Unfortunately, the best way to learn is to make the mistakes that you don't know about. Um, a lot so of people also don't. Ocean... Oh, sorry, go on. Oh, no, all I was going to say was a lot of people don't know that uh, GitHub has a developer account where you can sign up as a student and get a ton of these services and these classes for free. And that's a huge benefit. Mm -hmm. uh, just going on there and scrolling through their like 300 plus options of free things like the Azure credits or the Amazon credits and just going there and playing with it. Yeah. Like that was something that was intimidating for me was like the, it, it seemed like cost prohibitive, right? You hear the nightmare stories of someone racking up like a thousand dollar bill on like EC2, like they spun up this huge server and they just left it online and they forgot about it. Uh, but the benefit of like all these programs is they give you like, you know, hundreds of dollars worth of free credits that you can use to just play around and learn, right? I think basically yeah. every provider minus GCP has one, but it's kind of stingy, but Azure's and AWS is like pretty good. So um, I would definitely recommend looking into that for anybody curious about cloud.
And then transitioning a bit from these to like databases too, I want to do that right now because we have Michael with us, who's like a databases expert too. Um, so I know that I think AWS promotes uh, NoSQL databases a, a little more than um, SQL databases, which is something that I think Azure um, specializes a little more um, in because they have the SQL server and everything. So um, in terms of just databases, if students are just getting started with databases, um, would you recommend that they start with SQL first or? It's sort of a hard question because they like you need some sort of fundamental basis. And we're always taught structure is best, so let's work with structure, which is why you see, for example, courses like 343 or their equivalents um, teaching like an intro to computer science or sorry, an intro to database course. Um, they all sort of cover the same thing. It's just sort of a stepping stone into the field. So when I think of it, I think of a tamed version of like 148, for example. Um, in terms of like the difference between learning NoSQL or SQL, in my opinion, it doesn't really make much of a difference. What you're going, the one thing that will make a dis difference is if you teach yourself how SQL works incorrectly. Because in your mind, this is a way that a structured query language should operate in. And this is the way in which I should be grabbing information without any understanding of the design philosophies that exist behind the scenes. It's going to cause a problem because you don't fundamentally understand how to design the database or why it's being designed in a certain way. Uh, and it sort of sh shifts to like tons and tons of different things. It, and really right now in industry, there's tons of problems that exist within like speed and scalability. And not just in a relational database, in a non-relational database too. Oh, that and replication, but we can chat about that later. Uh, I'd just like to comment, I hate SQL. Um, so yeah, I think you learn no SQL, but you know. I, I, I think, I think SQL is valuable, right? But it shouldn't be, like, it, NoSQL, SQL, they both have like their valid use cases. Yeah. Um, and you always gotta pick the, the right tool for their job, right? Yeah, that's that's fair. Mm -hmm. But like why as do you, a- Why do you hate SQL? I don't know. It just feels so archaic. <laughs> you just do select something from something dot, 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 dot. And you can get such complicated queries, whereas with NoSQL, you can just do one generic query and then you can parse it better from my experience. Yeah. And I'm also guessing that when SQL is deployed uh, in actual production, uh, from my experience, it got very messy because you, you patchwork so many things because this query fails, for example, but then this one works. Mm -hmm. So you patchwork that first query and then, oh, this, this breaks. But, mm -hmm. but that, that all stems from poor design. It just yeah. means that the people who designed the original database didn't take a good introductory course. Yeah. I'm not. I think I, <laughs> <laughs> hey, I took 343 downtown, so I, I can't, you know. No, no, I, I see that a lot. And that's sort of a big point of contention. A lot of people hate the fact that the, their original database was set up poorly or that they have to do patchwork, or that a lot of data is duplicated, or that mm. somebody has decided to drop the production database without the proper contingencies in place. Mm -hmm. And like uh, we laugh about that, but it's stuff that 
happens and it's stuff that shouldn't happen but that's partially because the people who are in the positions of power or the people who are controlling this or who are hired to be the administrators of these databases don't actually have the proper understanding or expertise yeah. With that being said, like MongoDB and the push with like integration into cloud storage is definitely the way of the future. It just can't be fundamentally what an introduction to database course looks like. Now, an advanced database course, there's an idea. Ooh, Michael, yeah. is this I, a I agree 100% with that. advanced database course at UTM? They, it exists. Um, they, we just don't have enough faculty to teach it at this point. Eventually, hopefully. After I think 100%, Michael, though, like I think SQL is like real, just like how, like, you know, we learn C and stuff, and, and people will complain about learning C. I think it's important to learn that because it's like really foundational, and you learn a lot of important lessons that you can then apply to, you know, future, future languages you learn and future projects you work on. I think SQL is the same way, right? Um, you can learn SQL, and then like you have a solid foundation, right? I think no SQL is. Mm -hmm much faster to learn than SQL. Oh, and it does definitely, definitely has tons of cool integration. Yeah, Sorry, yeah. Yes. Oh yeah, I just, I was just gonna say like, at a scale, I think SQL is like where it gets harder because uh, you have to maintain, you know, that, uh, that ACID model. Um, whereas, you know, with, with NoSQL, you can give up a lot of those uh, constraints. Yeah, but like Amazon has a ton of cool stuff right now. Like, I don't know if you guys have heard of like Amazon Redshift Spectrum. Um, or anything along the like along the lines of like their S3 storage systems, but um, there's a huge like push in this area to store like data in their like simplistic or raw format, um, which is very different from how it existed before. So you can actually just query the data right from like an S3 like a storage instance, um, and then like pull that into something like Redshift. And then have people that actually query the subsets of those databases concurrently. So, it, like, it's really neat because it integrates two areas: one which we always give our as archaic or really what changes in the database world with cloud computing, and the fact that we can like split them up into different subgroups or what they call shards in um, like NoSQL and MongoDB, and having like multi-shard transactions, which are really cool. Mm -hmm. And like sagas, and I think sagas are really interesting too. But Miss Termit so brought up are... something interesting in chat. Oh. They, had, they had a question regarding uh, DynamoDB. Oh, um, didn't Amazon release their own variation of MongoDB? So isn't that threatening MongoDB's life? I think they're referring to DynamoDB, which is Amazon's, you know, version of 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 MongoDB. Their their NoSQL database. Um, I guess we can talk about that a little bit. Um, from, from my perspective, I think like the way Amazon incentivizes people to use DynamoDB as opposed to Mongo is that you know they offer it at a lot cheaper price point. Um, but the, the reason I don't think most enterprise companies will opt for DynamoDB is just vendor lock-in, right? Because if you end up using DynamoDB, you're pretty much stuck in that. Uh, and migrating to another provider will be like, next to impossible, at least like in a financially responsible way. Uh, so that's my two cents. There's also a lot of better um, resources so that exist around MongoDB. Mm -hmm. And like Sorry, a developer tool, tool, tool system, right? 
Something that I saw happening at my workplace was um, they didn't really trust MongoDB so much because um, open source, um, and we had to transition to Redis. So, because as uh, Microsoft so eloquently put it, twenty years ago or something, open source is uh, oh, let's not classic. That quote's classic. never gonna go away, huh? Yeah, no. <laughs> I think of it every time when I debug a Microsoft issue. <laughs> Isn't Redis open source as well? I think it is. But I think Redis I think is definitely, it is. It's definitely uh, more mature, I think, compared to Mongo. Uh, and I would say Redis is like more open source than, than MongoDB, since like, you know, MongoDB is primarily supported by the company MongoDB, right? As right. opposed to Redis, where it's, I think, almost completely open source. I don't think there is like a primary company that offers support. OK, so we have a few more buzzwords that we can kind of zoom through if we're feeling up to it. The second one is microservices. And um, I'll actually call on Krish to give a definition on this one, because he was giving a great definition earlier. Sure. Uh, um, yeah, so microservices is essentially like a design pattern. Um, where instead of making, you know, one big application, you know, one giant code base uh, where all your logic is, um, you separate that out into a lot of smaller applications. Uh, and the way that works is that, you know, instead of sharing objects and memory um, and sharing pointers and stuff like that, um, with, uh, with a microservice architecture, you use like some type of communication protocol where you, uh, where the services can communicate over the network, right? So. Um, there's lots of options for like services and how they communicate, like Kafka, RabbitMQ. The list is like endless, uh, but that's the general idea: is that you know you compose many small services into that one big application. How is that? I think that's a great so definition. Should students learn it? <laughs> um, I think it's very cool. So I think students should learn it. Yeah. I think um, it can bring in lots of important things together because having them separately can. One thing that I've uh, learned in my time at my various positions is stability is important. And having them deployed as microservices will definitely help with stability because you never know when, for example, in one of the projects I'm working on, um, a random null pointer exception will be thrown, even though you never interact with the part of code that uh, would deal with it. So having that as a separate part, uh, as a as its own microservice, can definitely help with the stability of things, especially if you can spread your database over in its own microservice. If you can spread it over multiple servers itself, it will help even more than uh, just one single micro server hosting the microservice itself. And one thing that this also reminds me of is that um, I was just talking about Kubernetes when we were talking about cloud computing before, and Kubernetes works really well with microservices because what you can do is, you know, suppose you have some service written in a completely different language, you can deploy that, and that's going to be independent of another language. So there isn't some, you know, there there aren't that many issues with those two being able to work with each other. Mm -hmm. It's like sort of funny. It, sorry, it's sort of funny because um, microservices sort of transition from like a design principle the design principle of like low coupling, high cohesion. So that idea that like, that's been a pinnacle software engineering design principle for decades 
And microservices is basically that approach and it's saying, okay, well, we have an approach to an application development, like a large scale application, and it's being built, essentially it's being built around like a suite of modular components. So like we have this whole idea of microservices, which is I have this large scale application and if part of it goes down, it's okay because it doesn't bring the whole thing down. And that's sort of the fancy term for this design principle that's existed for decades. So like in terms of it being all hype, I don't necessarily think it's all hype. It's just funny how they rebranded a term and made it sound like sexier to get people's attention. I blame the consultants. I, I think it's I think it's easy to like um like to play devil's advocate. I think there's lots of advantages from microservices, uh, but I think there's like trade-offs as well. Right. Um, like some of the ones that like come to mind is like, you know, if a company is using a different language for each service, right? One is Java, one is, you know, C sharp, one is uh, I don't know, Node.js and, and Golang, for example. Um, it makes it difficult for you know people to collaborate and switch between teams and um, like there's other issues that pop up where you need to get a lot more like overhead, right? Each request now needs 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 to go over a network, right? And what if there's network failure and um, there's a lot of like other things to consider for microservices. Um, so it's not all, it's not all, all positives I, is what, is what I mean to say. Not all sunshine and happiness. Yeah. Unfortunately not. Yeah. I mean, the sunshine and happiness does come back though, because of like Michael said, the modularity of it, mm -hmm. you know, you fire your MongoDB guy, you just hire the, the SQL guy. It's fine. Just, it's just a module, right? People are expendable. That's how it works. Yeah. Oh, oh no. <laughs> Let's not get any ideas, eh? Come okay, so on. then it's our job next security. buzzword. Oh no, job security. Oh, no. So our next buzzword is another really cool thing, AR, VR. So a virtual reality is an interactive computer-generated depiction of a real or artificial world or activity. And on the other hand, augmented reality is a real-world view with additional computer-generated enhancements. So those are our definitions. Uh, what should students do if they wanted to study this? Or do you think it's just hype? Does it have like real world future implications? Uh, it depends on which one and for what. Because AR and VR, they're both, while they have the same general idea, they're very different concepts because AR is displaying the real world with some form of enhancement in a very basic sense. Whereas VR is putting you in a different world. Um, but it, it also depends, right? Because VR and AR are more used for design of physical things rather than a computer science perspective of it. If you want to work in it, um, there's, from my understanding, not many opportunities for it. Um, you can join a hardware-based team uh, at, for example, AMD, NVIDIA, and you can work on the driver side working with AR VR where you can get the opportunity to see the latest tech. Um, but if you want to work in terms of the actual VR software, um, there's much less opportunity. Yeah, I think a lot of people were like left with a sour taste in their mouth in regards to like AR VR after like Google Glass, right? Because it was like built up to be this huge game changing thing, and then you know it turned out to be kind of a gimmick. I mean, um, but, you know, Google yeah. Google has a history of killing products, so let's not Wait, the possibilities. The the one cool thing about AR specifically is, so like VR is uh, just going to classify that on its own. 
gaming, uh, cool, maybe videos, but we won't go there. Um, with regards to like AR though, there's tons of stuff in AR, but it's mostly research right now. Um, how to roll it out into, for example, um, uh, self-driving cars, how to roll it out into robots. How can I perform like precise surgery using certain, um, like certain equipment without actually um, hitting, for example, the heart wall. Uh, there's tons and tons of stuff that exists in that space. And AR in itself is really, really cool. I think right now a lot of the work that's being done or being shown to the public is very gimmicky. But the application in the long term is there. The problem is nobody coming out of their undergraduate degree is going to be able to work in that field. Not to develop the new stuff in that field, maybe to utilize it for whatever. But unless you have like full exposure with an expert in that area, it's going to be way too long before you're going to be able to make any serious impact in that space. Yeah. I think the potential in the future is the most important thing. Because technically, when we first got computers, we were doing 1 plus 1 equals 2. And then we broke the enigma with uh, Alan Turing. And then now we can get these uh, shitty little games to run on our phones that the phones could technically land us on the moon. We've advanced so far, and with the possibility of AR or VR, uh, we can get even further, like designing entire skyscrapers uh, with our hands, just drawing it rather than drawing on paper what it would look like. Yeah, I, I, I agree with, uh, with Mike that the consumer applications right now are, are kind of still like gimmicky to an extent. But I do see like a lot of opportunity in the future for like enterprise, um, for the enterprise side, both like, you know, like, like traditional white collar and, and like traditional like blue collar work. I think there's a lot of applications. Um, like if you think about like, you know, um, an engineer could use it to, you know, design, design equipment. And at the same time, you know, um, Amazon has already started working on implementing AR to help people in their warehouses with. Um, collecting, you know, more packages and stuff. Yeah. Um, and however you feel about Amazon, it's still, you know, an interesting application about of, of AR. I'm also, like, I know we have an international audience as well, but for the domestic audience, if you've ever traveled in Asia, you'll realize that it's very heavily compacted. And to navigate streets, for example, could be complex. If you're using something like Google Maps, well, you never really know if you're in the exact right location. You don't know where you are and sort of that second circular grid that gives you ah you're in this approximate range sort of increases and increases depending on the number of phones or signals that exist there um so on and so forth but um one big thing that uh, vr will come in or sorry ar augmented reality will come in to play is um once you're able to for example take photos or use the camera to better direct your exact location. It'll help pinpoint you. Um, so that's definitely another benefit that I could see coming to use more often uh, and more like or sooner in terms of like a commercially available product. So is our is our TLD the VR is still kind of hype and and AR you know is maybe not hype? Yeah, I think that's accurate. Yeah, seems like that. So maybe go more into AR. Then our next term is Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. 
So Bitcoin is a digital currency. So new units of currency are generated by the computational solution of mathematical problems. How about this one? If someone is interested um, in Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, what should they do? Real world applications and stuff. Other than investing? Because, uh, you know, I might have lost some money in the crypto market before. But uh... it's, it's funny you say that because uh, investing is more like high stakes gambling. <laughs> and throwing away your readily available cash because you have hey, no idea what's going to happen. I think Bitcoin is kind of hype. <laughs> yeah. Bitcoin specifically is hype. But yeah. I think cryptocurrency in general. It's been hype for um, so long. Yeah. But I think cryptocurrency in general has a big place in the future. A decentralized banking system. You know, think what you might, but our privacy is important. And the government. Knowing everything might not be the best thing. And then it also think, just uses it in terms of yeah. having an international standard potentially. Yeah. I think I think blockchain, although it wasn't mentioned in like the topic, I think blockchain has a lot of applications. Some that we've started to see already, but just as like a form for like validating authenticity or identity, I think uh, blockchain is super interesting. I know there's some countries that have already started implementing like blockchain for like medical records which i think is super cool like because you know your medical records are very important you never want to lose them you always want to make sure they're valid because if they're not you could come into a lot of harm when you go to the doctor and so like blockchain seems like a great application um for for that uh, mike i'm interested to get your take because I, i've heard people like say you know blockchain is just the discount sql database how, how do you feel about that so I got to piggyback off of what you said before that, then I'll answer your question. Um, okay. Right now, so I do agree with what you said with regards to blockchain. It's definitely not hype. Uh, there's a lot of great benefits because you have a public transaction log that can never change. You have a ledger that exists that everybody can see. Um, and what's really neat about that is for like verification of things. And you said medical records, but I bet a lot of you didn't know that they're actually doing this for degree verification. It's way simpler to verify somebody's degree using blockchain. So for example, McMaster is actually, their faculty of engineering is the, I believe the first institution in Canada to implement blockchain as a means of verification for their degree. And they're one of the four major universities in North America, along with, I think it's MIT, Stanford, and someone else. I cannot remember. There might be a couple more from the states um, that are on a committee now to determine an international standard to do degree verification, which is really, really cool. Um, but going back to your question about like, see, like databases versus ledgers, I think they have different, um, like totally different use cases. I don't think everybody wants every piece of information in a database to become public. I also don't think that it would be feasible to store that. But records in terms of like stuff you would see on spreadsheets that might you may want to anonymize some of it, but keep some of it public, like the actual values in accounts, uh, being able to transfer money internationally, that's huge. But right now, banks use a, like their own blockchain technology to do this verification between them anyway, because each of them can host all like the ledgers on their own system so they can verify if this was an a, like a legitimate transfer a legitimate deposit or withdrawal 
Yeah, I think that system is called like SWIFT, right? If I remember correctly, like their messaging protocol between banks, internationally at least. I don't actually know if SWIFT is what uses blockchain, but you could. I know that that's their international standard. That was really interesting about the degree verification. Yeah, McMaster is definitely in good company there. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, then. Um, so we've we have concluded that Bitcoin might be hype, like, but blockchain isn't, and it's um, definitely something worth looking into. Our next term is self-driving vehicles. I didn't prepare a definition for this because I'm kind of assuming it's self-explanatory, self-driving vehicles. Um, is this term all hype? Do you see the future being filled with self-driving vehicles? And if so, should students, like how, 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 sorry, how should students go about studying it? So yeah, self-driving vehicles look, hits like six or seven different CS categories. I don't know, like it hits the area of like artificial intelligence and machine learning. It hits the area of like augmented reality. It hits like um, software engineering. It touches on like safety critical systems. Um, there's probably others that I'm totally omitting here, but I, I don't even know where to start because it's sort of, uh, it's an applied project that utilizes a ton of CS disciplines. Like even graphics falls in there too. Yeah. I think self-driving is a big, big topic. Like it's like when you say someone wants to get into self-driving cars, there's like so many different aspects. I think it's uh, self-driving vehicles is a bit of too broad of a topic. Um, but to get started and learning about it, um, definitely you need to learn about ML, AI. Um, you need to learn about systems. Um, both of my brothers, actually, yeah. Both of my brothers coincidentally did some stuff related to this. They learned CUDA uh, because NVIDIA GPUs are uh, all you can use for machine learning. Sorry, AMD. Uh, um, but yeah, there's lots of important things to learn. Uh, systems, especially sensor fusion. Um, but this delves more into the engineering perspective of things rather than a computer science perspective of it. Yeah, but I think the the robotics courses, um, they give you sort of an intro to like a lot of the projects that I see students doing are similar um, to that. And even if you want to check out some research that uh, robotics instructors are doing right now on the ROP app, you'll see some really cool projects there too. So I think that's a good start. And like in terms of hype, I was going to say, I don't think it's a hype, right? Because uh, we've recently had announcements and I'm not sure if they started already, but um, we've had announcements from companies like Uber and Lyft, um, you know, coming with um, self-driving taxis. That's going to save them a lot of money. Um, you know, they don't need to pay people to drive those cars. Um, and I think even for, you know, uh, things like safety, um, because you have so many incidents with creepy drivers and whatnot. Um, I think that's definitely going to be something in demand. Yeah, I agree. I don't think it's hype, but I think the caveat is that I think it's still early. You know what I mean? Like for, for a couple of years now, Tesla has been saying like, you know, we'll have level five self-driving, you know, by next year. Right? And it's like, how many times can you say next year until, you know, maybe it's not actually next year. Um, I think that it's because it's such a like big field and like topic. I think like after like fully self-driving vehicles is still like quite a few years. I'm gonna shoot myself in the foot by saying this because it's gonna come out in months. But I think it's still a couple of years away. 
Did you see Tesla's new announcement right after you said that? Oh no. I think Google thing, and Apple have been testing for a long time too. Yeah, Google with Waymo, I think it is. Mm -hmm. Their mm -hmm. self-driving division has been Alphabet. going for a very long time. Alphabet with the Waymo. Thing, the thing is, like, the self-driving cars exist now. It just depends on what degree we want them to function at. And also, at what degree will, like, at what level or sort of, like, I don't know what the word is, but, like, um, to what degree, like, these these cars have to be made available to the public with certain rules in place. Mm -hmm. Like, because um, we still have to go through ethics. They're going to have to go through legislation. Uh, by the time we see them available, it may not be 10 till like 10, 15 years from now, even though they, they very well exist and work and function properly. But I don't see like a full scale rollout happening in under five years. That's for sure. So I'm with yeah. Krish there. Long I think term. it's like a people, it's a people problem, right? Like as long as there's like human mm -hmm. drivers on the road, the cars can never be like certain about what's happening. <laughs> it, it's not even that it's like ethical things too. So for mm -hmm. like, they give like extreme cases where uh, if you were in a self-driving car that you purchased and you're going to get into an accident and there's going to be a fatality guaranteed, do they kill the driver? Do they kill... I don't know, the elderly person is walking on the street or do they knock the school bus into the river? Yeah. Uh, and you look at that and you're like, well, I don't know, what do I pick? But <laughs> you have different points of view. I bought the car, so I should be protected. Oh, yeah. that person is a pedestrian, had the right of way based on the traffic laws in the area, so they should be protected. Oh, you don't want to kill somebody who's younger than you. Like, there's all kinds of things that come into play there. And what do we deem as correct or right? Yeah, there's the legality and liability aspect too, right? Um, like I think there was an accident a couple of years ago where, where you know, a pedestrian died and the person was using a Tesla and they were, you know, in self-driving mode. Um, and the driver of the vehicle who, who was unharmed, he ended up suing Tesla because he claimed that, you know, it was the autopilot system that was responsible and not him. Um, and so like from that liability perspective, I think it'll be interesting to see what happens uh, because I don't think like, the automotive makers really want to take on that additional risk, but right now they don't have any other option because you could because you can't fully trust the 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 self-driving vehicle, right? But conceptually, it's totally worth the hype, but in practice, it's more complicated than that. Yeah, it seems like our T TLDR. Yeah. So we're nearing the end of our episode. So just to wrap up, we have a question for each person, um, which is. Uh, what kind of technology is each person interested in working on and why? It doesn't have to be one of the technologies that we mentioned in this episode. It can be anything. But just what are you interested in working on in this field of technology? Go the same order, like in the video. That's you, Krish. Um, let's go backwards. Lucas, you start. Oh, yeah, sure. Why not? Cool. <laughs> uh, yeah, sure. Uh, well, given my current job, I think cloud computing is very interesting. The possibility of having a powerful GPU on something that you pay a dollar for, for example, is definitely something interesting. Um, so that's one way, one place I would want to go. Um, but in, in a different vein, or I guess it's still, I want to go into cloud computing mainly because that seems like a very definite place where I can achieve lots of my goals. Uh, I know cloud computing is a very broad thing, but I think going into something with scalable systems probably 
working the backend of Azure or Google Cloud, uh, something that would be very interesting to go into, despite how broad it sounds. Guaranteed money. <laughs> hey, man, I just need to get that Cali position, all right? Yeah, um, with me, I'm also um, interested in cloud computing because I think it is going to be widely used whenever you have a large audience. Uh, but um, a little more than that, I want, I'm interested in AI and ML specifically because, you know, after we've had this pandemic, the, um, the demand for online education is rising even more. Um, and I'm personally, you know, a big uh, advocate for self-paced learning. So um, something that I'm interested in is seeing how we can use AI and ML to, um, you know, provide self-paced learning to students in a better manner. I definitely think that that's something worth looking into. Yeah, I'm definitely an algorithms guy. So uh, like there's sort of two folds here. Um, one is sort of a continuation from my dissertation, which dealt with like pattern repetition and pattern recognition. So like um, basically along the lines of like combinatorics on words or um, in the space of algorithms on strings. Uh, that was a lot of fun for me, but I also really like uh, AR and I've been doing a lot of cool stuff with augmented reality using like indoor localization. So how exactly do you pinpoint your location inside of a building because GPS loses accuracy? How if you're in the middle of, a, I don't know, a busy city like Tokyo, for example, with tons and tons of side streets, how do you pinpoint exactly where you are if, for example, Google Maps doesn't function properly? Um, so I've been uh, looking, I've been spending a lot of time in and looking a lot into um, those areas. I think that they're definitely cool ways forward in terms of tech. For me, uh, my work right now is really focused on like Kubernetes and distributed systems. So I think that's something that, you know, I really want to focus and learn more about just because it's like such a big ecosystem at this point. Um, but I'm also really interested in like RPA, which isn't something that we talked about, but the concept of RPA is just like automating uh, and, and automation at a scale, like for enterprise. Um, feel free to look it up or, or I can answer any questions in, in Discord or Twitch chat after, but I think that is also a super interesting and, and high growth area. Orange, I'm curious to, see, curious to hear from you. What are you, uh, what are you interested in? For me? Uh, well, I'm yeah. interested in I'm turning, it, turning it around. Things still some more research to do, but I find um, AR and VR really interesting, specifically in terms of like how it can be used for, for simulations. Um, I saw this awesome application where people were using um, AR glasses to practice presentations and then you just develop skills. And that's like, it seemed like a very real world application that you could imagine yourself using. So I think more applications like that would be interesting in artificial reality. <laughs> Thanks for asking, Krish. All right, so that is the end of our episode. And as you can see, technology is really cool. Lots of potential for the future. Thank you to all the guests for that awesome discussion. And to wrap things up, I'd like um, all of you guys next week's mystery guests to answer at the beginning of their episode. And um, it seems like we are revealing next week's mystery guests already. Next week, we have the topic of internships, and our professor is Professor Ilir Dima, and we're really excited to, to speak with him about that, too. 
All right, guys. So come up with a question for next week's guest to answer. Next Friday. Yeah. What's I the think. worst? What's the worst job you've had? I'm on. I'm on. What's the worst job oh, you've had? No. You're gonna get fired. <laughs> okay. Oh. Okay. Worst. Mm, worst project. More general. Project or worst course you've ever had to teach. Oh yeah, same, same. <laughs> and why I were really the students? Ilir, <laughs> 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 Ilir came in, kicked Lucas oh, no. out. <laughs> yeah, what? What? No, bro. Are you really trying to get Ilir fired now? Yeah. Tune in next week to hear those answers. Does everyone like that question? Want a different one? You want to say it again because I disconnected. Oh, the question was just like, what is the worst like project you you've had and why and like for a leader like what is the worst course you've had to teach? Maybe ah. not that one. We'll see. Ooh. And Ooh. why? Mm. Okay. You can mm. quote my name in giving that question. All right, I'll be sure to <laughs> mention that it was you. Idea. Oh yeah. Also, if there are any questions in the chat. Please type them now. You can take a look at it. I'm not going to lie. I was hoping you'd ask me if AI was all hype because I had a perfectly round-up answer for yes. That's one of the questions we skipped. Is it? Is is it all hype, Mike? Yeah. Is it all hype? We can ask it now. I'm oh, curious. Oh, AI, AI is all hype. <laughs> yeah. Machine learning bad. Say <laughs> it after I base my answer. <laughs> Only nerds go into artificial intelligence. True. The real chat's going to cloud. Why is AI all hype? Like AI is not hype from a technical perspective. It's just every other discipline that decides that they want to use AI. So like, for example, you have like a master's of management in artificial intelligence. That doesn't make sense. Yeah. I have no idea <laughs> what you could possibly teach in that area. This is how you make sure your developers develop an AI. I still blame the consultants for that one. <laughs> no, it's it's there's funny because heck, like, like, go on. There's also the heck. Oh, I, I was just gonna. No, 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 no. Naz, it's your <laughs> turn. What were you saying? <laughs> no, no. You were talking first. All, all I was saying was it's funny because like, U of T doesn't call it a master of AI. They call it a master of management analytics. And like Western is named it properly too, but then you have Queens that comes out and it's like it's a master of management and artificial intelligence. But that's like they just picked the hype word. I don't know. Like I want my cereal with a side of AI. Can AI pour my cereal? Soon. <laughs> yeah, there's still people using if statements and then saying they're using AI or ML. AI just is just if statements. <laughs> can't change words. my mind. Uh, Michael, we have a question for you from the chat, which is, how do you stay sure. so motivated during the pandemic? How do I stay so motivated? That is an excellent question. Um, honestly, I binge a lot of TV and I work a ton. But like when it comes to like television series, my brother and I seem to watch hours and hours on end. So if any of you guys out there are doing this to... That is definitely a motivating factor. Yeah, that that and what I like. Series? Oh, um, I'm rewatching Breaking Bad. Mm. Yeah, I just finished rewatching all of House. 
also a good choice. Yeah, the classics. Yeah, that, those are sort of the ones I'm going through now. But like, I can pull up, polish off an entire season like that in, in like a week, which is really bad. It's a skill. Yeah. Skill. Take notes, guys. That's how you stay motivated. <laughs> I'm going to add that to my resume now. Yeah, I can uh, watch Netflix. From, what are great places to self to self study compilers? To self study compilers? What are some great places to self study compilers? That's sort of hard. Um, there's not a, like, there's the traditional dragon book that exists, which everybody who has ever touched compilers is probably seen. Um, that's sort of the traditional book to start with. I don't act, actually, like fundamentally it's good. I don't actually think it's a great starting point. Um, but there's not really many resources that I can name off the top of my head that exist within that space that are easily accessible. Um, but I would use the guidelines, like the um, table of contents section from the compiler book and sort of fish from there and then investigate other areas, like those areas in depth outside of just that book. There's this one question that I'm really interested in from Phoenix Garuda. He's asking you if you're hyped for 108. Am I hyped? I'm hyped for 108. Everybody knows I'm in TA scheduling mode right now, and that has been an absolute yeah. delight. No, I am. I'm excited. It's going to be totally online. Like, and you're going to come to my virtual nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Like I don't know. I'm super excited. It's going to be totally online, but it should be a lot of fun. There's a lot of stuff that I'm trying that's going to be new, which will also be fun. Maybe just for me, but I will have a good time doing it. And my smile should give you guys a smile, you know. This is just a 108 student, sorry. I'm excited for 108 too. <laughs> we have one last question, which is, um, when is your book being published and what book topic is it from what? the Estate? Excellent question. I don't know who you that is, but they out? must talk to me. I do. It's a compiler textbook. Um, Ooh. It is... Ooh. Okay, so I had a draft pretty much fully written that I'm going through again because I want to make it nice and neat. Uh, I'm about five-ish chapters into that. So let's... I was aiming for November, but that at this point looks a little bit too optimistic. Maybe November of 2021. Yeah, that's sort of my goal. I wanted it ready for the compiler course this year, but I don't think I will have the entire draft done. Maybe can I get an autograph if I buy it? Yeah, same. I will give you an autograph. Yes. Yeah, me too. Yes. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> is it like collecting Pokemon cards? Happy customers. Is this just gonna turn into Pokemon cards? Because like we need to get Dan to sign his book too, right? Hmm. This is true. All the signatures. Yeah, we need to get each prof's book, get them to sign it, and then just this is a UTM collection. Oh, I thought you were going to say we'll sell it later. Oh, no, like, dude, are you kidding me? No, no, no. Autographed. Well, you got to save. You'll sell it, in, sell it in 30 years, you know? Yeah, that's true. All right. When Michael's famous, we can sell it. <laughs> so it seems like we've gone through all of our questions, which is awesome. So bye, guys. See you next week.
Thank Hi. you, Michael, for, for coming on this week. Welcome. Yeah, thank Bye, you. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone. Bye.